0: Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Jamie. That was outstanding. Dave Coates for writing most of what uh, was uh, listened to. Really, really outstanding. Um, can I ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, and as also to, uh, sorry, Matthew, chapter 1, and Luke, chapter 2. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning. Matthew, chapter 1, and Luke, chapter 2. I'm sure you guys have heard of the saying, familiarity breeds contempt, uh, Mark Twain put it like this familiarity breeds contempt and children. There's a, there's a great example of this. Uh, of this, I mean the original quote, not Mark Twain's um, example. But there's a great example of this in, in uh, the, the book of, Matthew, uh, of Mark, chapter 6. Jesus is preaching in his hometown and uh, he's preaching in his, in his home synagogue. And those who are listening are initially absolutely amazed at what's going on. They, they, they say to one another, this is incredible, such wisdom from a man like this and these amazing miracles that he's performing. But then they pause for a moment and realize that they know exactly who he is. They say to themselves, wait a minute, this is, this is Jesus the carpenter. This is Mary and Joseph's boy. This is This is James's brother. We we know this guy. We've known him since he was a child. And immediately, Mark, uh, Mark tells us that they take offense at Jesus. And faith and expectation is sucked out of the room. And Mark tells us right after that that Jesus could not do many miracles in that place except lay hands on a few people and heal them. I tell you that story because I think it is very easy for us to become overly familiar with the Christmas story. It's easy for us to read the passages that we're going to read and, and kind of our hearts get lulled to sleep. We know this passage, we know this story, and immediately what happens is faith and expectation to encounter God and for God to do something significant in our lives is removed. So I say that to say as we read these passages, I encourage you to, to look to press into God and encounter Him this morning with what He wants to say. And then if we can flip, flip over to Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, jumping down to verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to, uh, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Can I just pause and say, the angel did not say I bring good advice. The angel said, I bring you good news. This is good news, not something that we do, but something that we respond to, to what God has already done. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. The Christmas story can be summed up in one word and it's the word Emmanuel. But it's not just the Christmas story that we're speaking about. It's not just the Christmas story that can be summed up in one word. It's the entire gospel. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the truth Of the gospel, and that's the truth of the Christmas story. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, was so impacted by this singular truth that apparently on his deathbed, as he was breathing his last, he grabbed his friend's hands and he sat up in in bed and he said, Farewell, farewell. And then he paused for a moment and he said, The best of all is this, God with us. And so I want to take a few moments this morning to talk about what is this good news. What is this good news of God being with us? And the first thing we're gonna look at, it's the news that Jesus is God. The good news is the news that Jesus is God. In Matthew chapter one and verse 23, it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is a prophecy that's been plucked right out of Isaiah chapter seven. The Jews never for a moment thought that this particular prophecy would be fulfilled uh, exactly. You know, they always assumed that that some human leader would come, someone similar to King David would come and rescue Israel from Roman rule and set up independence and then, and then peace and prosperity would come to, to that nation. And in doing so, they would be closer to God in a kind of esoteric kind of sense. But what Matthew is saying here is that this prophecy is literally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the person of Jesus God is with us. And this truth is enforced over and over again throughout the New Testament. A few examples. In John's gospel, he writes at, at the very outset, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Jesus himself enforced the reality that he was God. We learned last week that God's most personal name is I am who I am. And Jesus evokes that name when he's speaking to the Jews. He says to them, before Abraham was, I am But I don't want to take time looking at the theology behind this. I want to take a few moments to consider the implications. What what is our response? What do we do with this truth that Jesus is God? The first thing I want to say is it should create something of a crisis in our lives. It should bring us to a fork in the road. It should cause us to, to realize that we have to respond in some kind of way. John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, observes that in the Gospels, there are only three ways that people respond once they have an encounter with the real Jesus Christ. One response is to get very angry and want to kill him. Another response is to be afraid and want to run away. And a third response is to be in awe of Jesus and to fall down and to worship him as Lord and Savior. But he goes on to talk about the reality that that a response of saying, well, that's nice to a sermon that Jesus preached or an encounter that someone had with Jesus is totally not an option at all. And I want to say that too, friends, that indifference and and apathy is not an option if we have encountered the real Jesus Christ. Some of us want to receive Jesus as Savior, but not receive him as Lord, And I want to say, friends, we can't do that because when we receive Jesus, we receive Jesus in his entirety. And Jesus is Savior, and he is Lord and Almighty God. Not only does this truth of Jesus being God uh, uh, bring us to a crisis, but also it reveals God's amazing grace. As God, Jesus doesn't come with a sword in his hand to judge, but he comes with nail scars in his hands to forgive us of our sins. That statement is a statement I was thinking this week that we often throw around very casually. God forgives us our sins. But think about that for a moment. You can only forgive sins if something has been done to you. If I were to punch you in the face, which I will never do, but if I were to to punch him in the face, it would make absolutely no sense for Nate to come to me and say, Steve, I forgive you. I've done nothing to Nate. the, The person I've offended is Hugh. but yet God claims that, that 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 he can forgive us our sins the point is this that we are God's by virtue of him having created us psalm 139 says that that, that you have created my my innermost and outermost parts uh, you know me because you have formed me in my in my mother's womb and the fact that we are God's the fact that we belong to him every sin is a sin against God but this is God's response He extends grace to us through the person of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved, God so loved. That's God's response to sin. That's God's response to us falling short of his glory, is to pour out and extend and display and manifest his love. God so loved the world. If God so loved the world, then can I say for every person sitting here, God so loved you as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave what was, what was most dear to him. Gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is the good news? The good news, firstly, is the news that Jesus is God. Secondly, it's the news that God is one of us. God is one of us. This is the flip side to that point. Jesus is both fully God and also fully man. He is one of us. And, and friends, this should offer us profound and infinite comfort and, and, and consolation. I'm sure every single one of us know what it's like to go through a very difficult and trying time. And, you, and your well-meaning friends and family probably gather around you and try to offer uh, encouragement. But, but you know there's always a, a little bit of a gap between their encouragement and what, and what you're really going through because they haven't experienced everything you've experienced. And then you come across or you meet somebody who's encountered or gone through the exact thing you are going through. You know what that's like? Your first thought is, I'm not alone. Your first thought is, I know what, uh, someone understands exactly what I'm going through. And, and with that person, there is, a, there is an immediate connection, even if you don't know them that well. You're able to talk to them somewhat more freely, and you're able to listen to their perspective and their advice. I saw that happen a few Sundays ago, sitting on the stage while I was watching Michelle give, share her testimony at our Testimony Sunday a few Sundays ago. Michelle was sharing about some particular and very personal struggles that she was going through. And I'm sure every one of us here was was moved and touched by that. But I noticed a few of you, you were being touched in a far deeper way because you suddenly realized that there was someone who understood the depths of your struggle. Most of you guys know my struggle with with, uh, speaking and stuttering. And for many, many years, I've struggled with not, not ever finding someone who can fully understand what I'm going through. I share share this story with some people, and they say, oh yes, I used to stutter too. But there was such a frustration in me because it's something I still struggle with and I still get nervous about. And in some kind of weird way, I went to watch uh, uh, the the, the movie The King and I. You know that that movie about King, I think it was King George? Uh, The King's Speech, thank you, The King and I. Yeah, not that. (laughs) The King's Speech, <laughs> I went to watch The King's Speech and I tell you, I wept, And I didn't actually weep, I sobbed throughout that movie because I, I, I saw for the first time someone in a weird and obscure way who was called to, to public speaking as part of, his, part of his calling and yet struggled to the same extent that I sometimes struggle. And I suddenly knew that I wasn't alone. And I wanna say today, friends, this is not a story about me or Michelle I wanna say Jesus is that someone who knows exactly what you and I are going through and have gone through. First Peter chapter four says this, since Jesus went through everything that you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Hebrews four, Jesus is not out of touch with our, with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. We can never say of Jesus, He doesn't understand what I'm going through. Jesus is one of us and has faced those same struggles and temptations. So we are invited, the Bible invites us to draw near to him. Hebrews 4 continues, let us go to Jesus and and get what he is so ready to give us. He wants to give us mercy. We need to take it. We need to accept his help. So maybe today you're here and struggling, discouragement and despair. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says Jesus is your hope. Maybe you're feeling alone and forgotten. Hebrews 13 says Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe you're unable to reconcile with somebody relationally. uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says in Jesus alone there there is unity and reconciliation. Are you in need financially? Matthew 6 says, seek first his kingdom and Jesus will provide all of your needs. Are you struggling with guilt and shame? Throughout the gospels, Jesus it's said of Jesus that he is the one who forgives once and for all. Do you feel, are you feeling taken advantage of? Romans 8 says, Jesus is your vindication. Are you being pursued by your past? 2 Timothy 4, Jesus is the one who will rescue us. Or maybe you're feeling oppressed. First John 3, Jesus is your deliverer. I can go on and on with every single human condition and I can point to the person of Jesus Christ being the answer for every single issue that we might face. Whatever your struggle is, Jesus understands and provides infinite comfort because he is one of us. This good news is that Jesus is God. This good news is that God is one of us. But then, thirdly, this good news also is that God is with us. God is with us. Those who love new words, I came across this new word. Tim Keller calls this attribute of God God's witness. God's witness. And that's not saying witness with a lisp, it's God's witness. This is not just. This is not just Jesus coming to us. This is Jesus taking up residence. This is Jesus being in close, intimate relationship with us. The the essence of my sermon from last Sunday. Eugene Peterson translates John chapter 1 verse 14 like this. The word became flesh and blood, and I love this, and moved into the neighborhood. I love that, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So what we're speaking about now is God's nearness, God's closeness, God's, God's intimacy in and through the person of Jesus Christ. We said last week, and I wanna just enforce it, almost every single encounter prior to the coming of Jesus Christ, so almost every single encounter that anyone had with God in the Old Testament was generally a very frightening experience. A burning furnace, a smoking furnace, a burning bush, a pillar of fire, an earthquake, a tornado, a storm, whatever it was. But the the, the wonderful truth of Christmas is that in, in Jesus, God comes to earth as a baby. What is terrifying about a baby? I find that so profound. God desires for us to know him, to know him deeply and intimately. And to that end, he sends Jesus Christ. I love the account of uh, Exodus 33, where Moses presses into God and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says to Moses, he says, Moses, you know, I'm I'm gonna gonna pass by you and I'm, I'm gonna proclaim my name in your presence, but you cannot look at me face to face. And live. and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna place you in the cleft of, of, a, of, a, of a rock and I'm gonna put my hand over you to cover you and I'm gonna allow my glory to pass by. And as God does that, he, he lifts, you can read it in Exodus 33, he lifts his hand momentarily and he allows Moses to catch a glimpse of his back, of his, of his heels, as it were. And that glimpse of God alone meant that Moses had to come down from the mountain and cover his face with a veil because he was radiating the glory of God. Do you know, I was thinking this week, what would Moses do if he was sitting here today listening to the Christmas story and the news that God is with us? What if Moses heard John chapter one being preached? We've seen the glory of God. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What would happen if Moses heard 2 Corinthians 3, which says that we aren't like Moses, but instead with unveiled faces, with nothing standing in the way between us and God, with, with shame and guilt and fear and, and religious systems and even people? Having the, all of that's been removed, we have direct access to God we, with unveiled faces. We, we behold, we look upon the glory of God and are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. Imagine if Moses was here and was hearing those truths for the first time. I, I bet you nothing would contain him. He'd lift up his his, his old-fashioned skirt, Middle Eastern skirt, and he'd, and he'd run up here and he'd say, Guys, you've got to understand, Jesus has changed the game. No longer does guilt and shame need to define the way we come into God's presence. No, no longer do we need to be fearful of God's presence. Through the person of Jesus Christ, he's made it possible for us to look upon the glory of God in its, in its fullness, and for that to radiate and change our lives. That's the Christmas story. God is with us. This is the good news that the angels were proclaiming to the shepherds. This is the meaning of the Christmas story. God is with us. But before we end, and I'm nearly done, before we end, I wanna just make an observation that I think is important. It came up a little bit in some of the readings that we were listening to. It takes incredible courage to respond to an encounter with Jesus Christ. It takes incredible courage for us to respond to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's what I, I find so fascinating about this Christmas story as we read in Matthew uh, and also in Luke. Joseph, Jesus came into Joseph's life and Joseph needed an incredible amount of courage to respond. He was faced with the challenge of, of what would others say? The town that he was living in was starting to gossip. His fiance was... Was, was pregnant and they hadn't got married yet. What were others gonna say? And he couldn't even go to his friends and family and tell them the truth. Can you imagine if he tried to do that? Well, actually the reason why she's pregnant is because she's conceived the savior of the world by the Holy Spirit. The truth was something that his friends and his family wouldn't understand. Well, what about the question, what would others do in response to this truth, and in response to Jesus coming. Matthew 2, which we didn't read, Matthew 2 tells, that tells us that Herod, King Herod, responded with incredible violence to the news of Jesus' arrival. He, he issued a decree that every boy under the age of two in Bethlehem was to be murdered in the hope of killing Jesus too. Not just what would others say, but also what would others do? And, and if that wasn't enough, Joseph had to, had to face the reality that the greatest privilege that any father had in, in that time was the naming of their son. And even that was taken away from him. The angel came and said, you will not name him Joseph, you will name him Jesus. That's the name you, you, you are to give him. What will others say? What will others do? Why can't I do it my way? Those are questions you and I face all the time when we encounter Jesus. What are others gonna say about me if I get radical for Jesus? What are others gonna do if I give my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Why can't I do it my way? Why does God insist that I have to do it his way? These are the challenges that we face. But can I say, friends, that the greatest challenge, the greatest challenge that we all face, not just those of you here who might not know Jesus today and, and, and as you're hearing the sermon, something might be stirring in your heart to give your life to him. I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to every person here. The greatest challenge we all face when we encounter Jesus is do we have the courage to admit that we need him more in our lives? There's not one person here, friends, and I, and I say this with absolute respect, there's not one person here uh, who has who who totally arrived in their walk with God. We are all growing. We are all maturing. And I trust we are all wanting to, to experience more and more and more of the goodness, of the lordship, of the majesty, of the mercy, of the grace, and of the kindness of Jesus Christ. The question is, and I wanna leave this with you today, where do we find the courage? to say, Jesus, I want you. I want all of you in my life. Where do we find that courage? And I wanna say, friends, we find that courage by looking to Jesus Christ. What did I say earlier? Jesus is one of us. Jesus has been through every struggle we've been through. If you're lacking courage, do you know what? Jesus lacked courage too. Jesus needed to look to the Father to find courage to go to the cross. In the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he he was about to die, he cried out to the father, father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But Lord, not my will, your will be, be done if you need courage today to say yes to Jesus, if you need courage today to say, Jesus, I wanna trust you with everything, if you need courage today to say, to say, God, I wanna obey you, if you need courage today to to take that step of faith, if you need courage today to invite Jesus into your heart, I wanna say, don't look to me and don't look to your husband or your friend, look to Jesus and ask him to help you. Ask him to give you the courage we're gonna break bread together and celebrate the, the goodness of God and the incredible gift that God has given us through the person of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I wanna invite anyone who might be here today who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You might, you maybe be hearing this message and this is maybe the first time you're hearing this truth or maybe it's, it's, it's enforcing something you already know but you've never responded to. And I wanna say friends, religion and, and trying to, 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 to please God, trying to clean yourself up to please God is never gonna uh, 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 suffice. We don't come to know God by us doing something. That's good advice. We get to respond to what God has already done. That's good news. We get to receive Jesus Christ into our hearts as, as Lord and Savior. So if you're here today and you're saying, Steve, I wanna know Jesus. Right where you are seated, I wanna ask you right now to pray this prayer. Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, give me the courage to say yes. Jesus, give me the boldness and the the courage to say yes. I need you in my life. Lord, would you come into my heart this morning as Lord and Savior. I receive you, your gift of life. I receive you into my heart today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, would you mind just lifting your hand? I would love to, thank you, thank you. You can put it down. Anyone else who received that prayer today, uh, who, who prayed that prayer today? Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for new life. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price, the ultimate price, the price once and for all. You declared on the cross, Jesus, it is finished. The work is done. There is nothing that you want us to do to to make it easier or or to add to your salvation. Thank you, Lord, that the veil has been removed. We don't need a person to come in between us. We don't need a religious system to come in between us and you. We don't need our own self-righteousness to come in between us and you. Thank you, Jesus, that you made the way. And I pray, Father God, for a sealing and a security of that decision right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come upon and seal that decision in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord God. Thank you for salvation. That salvation belongs to you.